Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spring Office Hours podcast. My name is Dan Vega. With me, as always, is my good friend, Deshaun. Deshaun, how are you doing, sir? I am wonderful. I've, I've got a little bit less voice than normal, but other than that, everything's good. Which makes for a great podcast episode, as you yeah. uh, look, put it right before. <laughs> Raspy. Yeah, I apologize in advance. It's all right. It's only our second actual podcast episode, so I don't think a lot of people are going to care at this point. Um, cool. So we have a lot to get to today. I wanted to do uh, a little bit of a housekeeping just to kind of touch on some things, one of which came up in the comments already. Uh, we this, So this has been primarily a live stream until last week when we started a podcast. So we're basically taking the live stream, taking the audio and pushing that out to all the podcast networks. We are now on all of the major podcast platforms. So if you are watching, if you are listening, if you could do us a huge favor and go over and subscribe, uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe to those. That would help us out a lot. Uh, As always, if you want to find out more about this show, you can head over to springoffstars.io. It will take you to the Tianzu Developer Network, our homepage for this podcast, where you can find all the past archives. We even have a section now where you can go ahead and ask a question. Go ahead and use that form to ask a question, and we'll be sure to answer it on a a further episode. So that is the podcast. We are excited about it. We are going to iterate on it and hopefully keep making this better. Uh, So go ahead and uh, leave us any feedback you have on that. Uh, with the housekeeping out of the way, Deshaun, you are not in your house. Where are you? I am in Atlanta, Georgia. We're, weren't we just in Atlanta? We were. Dev we were. And, and they liked it so much, they invited us back. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you going to be talking about in Atlanta? Anything fun? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be um, MC for a, a customer engagement. I will nice. also have a session on 15 Factors with Spring Boot on Kubernetes. What does that look like? 15? Uh, I thought there were 15. 12. Well, you know, it started <laughs> with 12. And then, yes. uh, yeah, and then it, it, it grew a little bit. We kind of rearranged them a little bit. I like it. Yep. Josh those McKinty. three editions are nice. Yeah, yes, those three editions are nice ones. Reordered and, and added and gave a little bit of clarification. So I like the 15 factors. Even the 12 factors is a little bit more popular. Uh, I like the 15 factors approach myself. Cool. This week, uh, yeah, this this past couple of weeks, or past few days, anyways, um, I've been doing a lot of short little live streams, uh, short sometimes because I was completely broken or or the kids came in or whatever, but trying to do more <laughs> just live streams. And I want to say that I'm, I'm grateful because a lot of the community that shows up is, is the folks that are here. Uh, yep. So I want to say I'm grateful for the community that we have. It's been fun, uh, pushed out some new build pack releases. So now the build pack that I pushed out last week that has ARM64 support included, the stack that's, that that is built on, uh, that stack, Daniel Makusa made a multi-architecture stack, and that is going to be hopefully uh, pushed up real soon. So now it's multi-architecture all the way down. There's not going to be separate resources. So we're getting closer and closer to this multi-architecture uh, yeah, future. And it'll be bright and, and more inclusive future for Bill Packs. That's awesome. Yep. Cool. Love the work you're doing there. Uh, awesome stuff. 
So okay. yeah, there's been more. Yeah. What else? I kept, I kept going with that. I did a lot of uh, what I'm calling spring cube, where, where I'm yes. taking spring and and showing what it looks like to run spring on Kubernetes. My my hypothesis is that a lot of our community is comfortable with Docker Compose. I'm looking at, at you, Dan. Uh, yeah, very uh, much so. Where we were talking about, hey, on my local environment, maybe I'm running Docker Compose, but what does that app look like? Can I take that same container and run it on Kubernetes? The answer is yes. And I'm going to show you all the different ways that you can do that. And I started working on a, a, a level set uh, set of uh, applications. So I did a, a, a gateway, an authentications or authorization server, a config server, a discovery server, and starting to connect the dots for a simple app that we've talked about. We've kind of referenced the pieces uh, over the our series here. And now we're going to kind of take that and, yeah, and start to launch it and land it on different types of Kubernetes, different Kubernetes that, platforms. That's really, that's really great. And I think I'm, I think I'm a target for that because as you said, it took me a while to get into like Docker and be comfortable with Docker and, and kind of embrace it. You keep, you know, you hear everybody in the industry talk about things over and over again. And you're like, okay, I guess I got to learn this. And I feel the same about, you know, Kubernetes. I, I feel like there's a large portion of the spring community or even Java, you know, programmers in general that may hear Kubernetes and get a little intimidated by it. Like, there's a lot that goes into this, and I don't know, you know, what's the next step after Docker Compose? How do I get to yeah. Kubernetes from there? So, uh, you 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 got a viewer in me. I'm gonna check out some of the the past sessions yeah. that you've done, and uh, I'm interested to see where that goes. So, so the big thing for me, the big reason, uh, I think that the developer experience from where we are today, maybe you're using Docker Compose. Docker Compose did, does not give you the option of scaling down to zero uh, mm -hmm. just for me and what i'm doing all the demos that we have all the things that we're running i can have a development environment without eating up all my resources because now that we've got spring boot 3 we can do the native images that take less they can start up faster i can have things scale to zero i can run kubernetes and i can only do that with kubernetes i can't do that with docker today so that's a big reason why i want to kind of show what that looks like not just for development environment, but also for production. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Cool, looking forward to that. Send so, me a comment about the Raspberry Pi tinkering. Uh, I was my first Kubernetes environment is going to be uh, inclusive of Raspberry Pis. Like that's just one nice. of the options for yeah. where you can land it. But we'll sh I'll show what it looks like in Azure and, and AKS and EKS and all the places. As I would be very boot. disappointed if there was a Deshaun demo without a Raspberry Pi involved. So, <laughs> as right as you should. Right? That's exactly. cool. So we have we have a lot of things to talk about today. Uh, we'll get into kind of uh, some things we want to talk about around the community today. Uh, our main topic for today is Spring Session. Uh, one of the great projects in our ecosystem. What is Spring Session? Why should we care about it? How do we use it? Uh, just in case uh, somebody out there has those questions about it. So um, this came up because uh, Spring Session had a recent release. So we'll talk a little bit about that and get into what Spring Session is and why you might want to use it. Uh, before we do that, we can, I'm going to go ahead and for those at uh, either on the treadmill or in the car and you're not on the live stream with us, 
I'm sorry, you can't see my screen, but we will do the best to kind of walk you through everything. Um, but I have a couple, a couple things that I want to get into today. Um, the first being Spring One at BM Explorer. The registration is now open for that. So if you head over to springone.io, you can register for that and join Deshaun and I in Las Vegas, August 21st, my birthday, through the 24th um, in Las Vegas. This is a part of VMware Explorer. There's a whole day track um, dedicated to Spring One, and as well as some Spring One sessions throughout VMware Explorer, or some Spring sessions throughout VMware Explorer. Uh, so I've already. Uh, been on uh, some of the committees going through some of the CFPs, a whole lot of really great talks. I'm just excited. I can't wait to get us all in the same place again. So I'm looking forward to August. So don't wait. Uh, go ahead and register today and join Deshaun and I in Vegas. And we will probably have one of these uh, Spring Office Hours podcasts. We will do a live podcast in Vegas for sure. And that's going to be a lot of fun to hopefully get everybody in a room with us. Today is May 2nd. Um, I've already been asked by no less than two dozen people, friends from the community. Hey, Deshaun, where are you staying? When are you get in there? Like, how are you <laughs> traveling? Like, I've already been asked. And just my little sample set of people that are asking me about VMware Explorer and Spring One, my little sample set tells me that people are registering early. And like I said, today is what? May 2nd. Early bird pricing ends May 30th. So we have plenty of time, but we don't. <laughs> like I said, my little sample size says a lot of people are registering. A lot of people are really excited about this event. So yeah, don't wait. I don't know. Where, where are I'm you staying? There. You didn't book yet. I don't, know where, I don't know where I'm <laughs> staying. I don't know when I'm getting there, but don't wait. I believe everything is at the Venetian, right? Venetian is a great hotel. If we could find spots there. That would be really great. I love the Venetians. That would be That would be nice. Cool. So spring one of VMware Explorer, please go ahead and register. As always, we're going to take a look at calendar.spring.io. This is a nice little application that shows you what is on the release calendar for spring and all the projects in our ecosystem. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd, and today we have spring modulith 0.6. So getting closer and closer to a 1.0. That's pretty exciting. Uh, later this week, we have Spring Cloud Dataflow and Spring Boot 3.1.0 RC2. Uh, so release candidate two, this is important because two weeks after that, uh, Spring Boot 3.1 will be released. So we'll have a new minor version of Spring Boot this, this month. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, yes. And not looking ahead, but there's a lot of really great things happening this month between Spring Framework, uh, spring Data, Spring Security, Spring Authorization Server, Spring for GraphQL, Spring Session, 3.1.0. Yes. So, so lots of, of candidates oh, for a lot Spring of Shell too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. A lot of the work I've been doing lately, I, I always go back. I'm really digging into this Spring Shell. I went and I found uh, somebody, I believe... Oh, I, I wouldn't looked at the Spring Initializer. I thought I found a bug. Uh, I wouldn't open up an issue on Spring Initializer. Uh, and I had spent a little bit of time looking at the other issues. And I still see people in the community that are forking the Spring Initializer, as you can. I've talked about this pattern before, but I've, I've switched. Instead of trying to fork and maintain a fork and keep it current with the upstream of Spring Initializer, 
one of the things I think we've talked about it here on the show a few times, I've made a spring shell CLI that does all the things that I would want my spring initializer to do on top of what I get out of the spring initializer, like uh, update a build pack or change a, a version number or add a license or other things. And I've, yeah, opening issues on my own stuff, but I'm really leaning into that spring initializer. The more work that I do, the more I want it to be automated. And the spring shell CLI is so fast and so powerful and so easy for me to update. I don't have to think about it because I'm doing spring all the time. It's really easy to keep that updated. Mm -hmm. Such a great project. Um, they're, they're constantly adding stuff to new features to that, which is great. And like you said, I'm just finding more and more opportunities to use it. Um, I don't need to stand up an API for other people. To, oh, I'm automatically reaching for Spring Shell now because, again, this is something in the past, we, we've talked about this, but you could reach for something like Bash, but I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't use Bash every day. So for me to, to write some, like some shell application that talks to an API in Bash would take me a long time. I'd have to Google and chat GPT things and like try to figure out how to put that together. And that's not a lot of fun. I could switch over to Node, but again, don't work in Node every day. So now I got to like kind of look everything up and try to figure out how things work. Um, being able to drop into a familiar environment for me is save, saves me a ton of time. So cool. Dan Ido says that Docker Compose top equals zero scale, not root container, but then you have, you have to do that. So it's not doing it automatically. So you have to, and you can do it across everything that's in that Docker Compose file, in that composition, you would have to stop. Now, I will say though, with Spring Boot 3.1 RC1, that you can have Spring do that automatically for you in your app. Um, there are some settings there too, which I'll talk about in a second because I got some questions on that. But uh, you can't have that stop for you. So. I, um, I think this is a new name, right? This is new. Hello. Welcome. Gennady Shevchenko. Welcome to the show. Happy to see you. And again, for uh, those of you on the podcast listening only, uh, we are live streaming over on YouTube at the Spring Developer Channel. And this is a great chance for everybody to kind of come in and ask some questions and leave us some feedback. So if you are in the live chat and you have a question, please go ahead and ask it and we will do our best to answer it. Yes. Cool. So we talked about Spring One registration, uh, the calendar. I just wanted to talk about a few things in the community real quick, and then we'll get to our main topic. Last week, we talked about Spring Boot 3.1. I released a video on this, Spring Boot Docker Compose. This was one of my favorite new features in this release uh, because, again, it, we talked about Docker Compose. Now we have the ability to automatically start and stop containers if need be. Um, and we can kind of kick that off when our application starts. So I did a video on that if you're interested in watching that. I wanted to talk about that because I got a lot of questions that I was not able to answer. So I wanted to talk about a couple things. Um, uh, there are a couple questions here uh, in on YouTube, and I figured this would be a good chance to kind of talk about this. So what what does this mean for prod deployments? So we, on a local machine, we have a Docker Compose. Uh, maybe we are kicking up a Postgres database. 
and this is great for, for local development, right? Like I start my application, it starts an instance of Postgres for me, I'm writing against data like that. Um, what does this mean for production? To me, that this just kind of says, this doesn't mean anything for production, right? This Whoa. is something, no, no, so I'm saying the Docker Compose. So I'm in production, like I don't want this to automatically start, like we're not using this container in production, right? Like wouldn't I have a production set of application environment variables that say, hey, when you get to our production, use this profile and talk to my real database, right? Hopefully, hopefully. Okay, but, I was gonna say, whoa. <laughs> yeah, there, but Docker Compose is running in production for thousands of companies, for thousands of organizations. Docker Compose is production, right? They're passing in their Docker Compose, they're passing their environment variables the exact same way. They're running the same containers in prod, dev, stage, etc. Okay. So Docker Compose can be production ready. You, you can't take docker compose to production so just, this is great this is why i wanted yeah. to bring this up to you so how how would that work then if if i have a docker compose so so at least in my example that i did just like running through this mm -hmm. my docker compose just has like a username and a password and again the nice mm -hmm. thing about this new module is is it passes those to to application.properties uh, are you are you creating a different kind of profile then with just like environment variables still using Docker Compose, but then overriding those environment variables like in a production environment? Yeah, so let's let's say that I've got my uh, user service uh, container version one. Uh, and in test, I use that same user service version one. Uh, and maybe I spin up an ephemeral uh, container to do my testing, uh, test container, boom, I am testing. But maybe in stage, that container has persistence associated with it. It's got it's uh, storage mounted to some uh, mm -hmm. RAID array, right? So it's got some persistent storage that's production grade. And then same in prod, it's got those things. It's got the prod data, but it's mm -hmm. still using version one of the OCI image of yeah. our user service and it moves along the way. So in your awesome. GitHub repository, you might have a, a Docker dash compose dash dev. Docker Compose stage, Docker Compose prod. Right. But you can still run these things on Docker, on awesome. Docker Compose, and you can connect them in very interesting ways as well. Cool. Good to know. Um, yeah. we, we got uh, Dan saying, yeah, you have different EMV files. You can pass in mm -hmm. those, those environment files. You can store, you can connect to different configuration services. You can connect to different uh, secrets providers, secret stores, right. like Alt, yep. et cetera. Uh, there are a couple of good uh, architecture questions, but we're so I want everybody to know that there's some questions that we see in chat. We're going to get to those. Please stick around. Uh, I want to address all these questions, uh, but yeah. we're going to follow this thread. We'll, we'll circle back for sure. For sure. Okay, cool. So another question I got on this same topic was just out of curiosity, are you able to see the container running on your computer while your app is running? And the answer to that is, of course, yes. Yeah. So when we when we go ahead and start our Spring application and it automatically starts our container for us, yeah, if you're running Docker Desktop, go into your dashboard, you'll see the container running. If you're on a command line, Docker PS, you will see the container running. So we're not doing anything special in Spring with that. It, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling Docker to go ahead and start that container for you automatically. 
Um, uh, we do have a comment here. I want to do yeah. this. He says, Cyclone says, hello. You gentlemen together is the best motivation for coding. Uh, I, I agree. Like I, I've said <laughs> it many, many times. I enjoy, now that a lot of us are working remote, I enjoy just having a live stream. Uh, and Jitter Ted, who's, who's also you know a part of the community here, uh, he's one of my favorites. Somebody that, that is good at thinking out loud, walking through things. And it's even better when they're teaching me something as well. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I agree with that sentiment. And I Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, okay, just a couple more comments on the Docker Compose stuff. Hey, it's really awesome. I tried doing it with Mongo and it worked perfectly. Yeah. Um, the other comment on that is, I wonder if there'll be an extension to configure other dependencies such as RabbitMQ, Redis, Kafka. Guess what? It's already there. Um, I, I know there is a list of things that it supports. But I know Redis is in there because I will we'll talk about it later with spring session. This is just pulling Docker containers. So if there's an image for it, uh, there should be support to go ahead and, and start it up. Again, check out the release notes. But yeah, anything that you need a container for, we should be able to go ahead and start up for you. And I'll say this too. For those of you that don't know, spring is open source. Test containers, open source. These are, This is part of the open source ecosystem. So if you find yourself uh, with a service that you'd like to start up automatically, you can, you have options. You can create your own extension. You can create your own hooks to do the same thing and you can commit them back, share them back with the community. I say that because I've been working on this build pack for almost two years now. And finally somebody said, hey, what, why haven't you considered sharing what you've done into the Paquetto community build packs i'm like uh yeah I'm, I'm kicking myself how come i didn't do that sooner but we're using these open source tools we're part of this open source community all of us are and yeah there's a lot of things that maybe there's a place for them to be shared back uh so yeah i'm sharing that i'm talking to myself a little bit using this as a therapy session yeah no that's what it's for <laughs> we need we need to to, to basically clear clear our heads when when we get in yeah. here today so um yeah that's great i i actually saw a comment that was kind of relevant so i wanted to bring it up here on the live stream uh dan uh actually says you can have multiple profiles too docker compose dash dash profile is front end or dash dash profile debug and up yeah um, so that is something i did not know about so thank you dan. so yeah dan i i feel like maybe uh i need to invite you to to come on and do a live stream and we just talk about docker compose as i do this kind of level set environment uh again you're kind of my my target audience so i'd love to have you on the show uh where we can talk about docker compose and the things we can do before we move to kubernetes yeah that'd be great and deshaun uh, if somebody wanted to catch one of those li live streams where are you usually live streaming at i'm i live stream all across the board, but YouTube uh, slash at Deshaun is kind of right. a, a YouTube channel. That's what gets the most attention. Sometimes I'm just on Twitch. Twitch, the community is a little bit more interactive if I'm just looking to um, live code. If I'm just diving deep, sometimes I just do on Twitch, but Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Twitch, and on YouTube is where I stream. Cool. I'll see if we can't get that added to the show notes. So if you head over to springofficehours.io and check out the archive, we have show notes for each of the episodes. Uh, so there'll be links to everything that we talk about here. 
Cool. So I'm going to move off of Spring Boot Docker Compose. One more or two more things I kind of wanted to touch on that I saw in the community this week. This is a big one for me. AWS Lambda now supports Java 17. Uh, so I've been waiting for this for a while. Um, I've done a bunch of tutorials on building uh, AWS or building Lambda, uh, whether it's using Java or uh, Spring. And um, you know, I've I've done a whole bunch of, of really great tutorials, but I've I've always had that like I can't do this type of thing because uh, AWS never hasn't supported the Java 17 runtime up until now, so I couldn't use things like Spring Boot 3, which is baselined on Java 17. So uh, I've been in talks with Mark uh, Sales, who's one of um, he's a senior specialist solutions architect for Serverless over at AWS. Uh, we've talked about building some content together, and he promised me it was coming. It was it was in the pipeline, and I was really excited to see this blog post last last week. So what this means is, if you're just building out a Java uh, a Lambda for AWS, when you go upload your code to uh, AWS in the Lambda settings, there's now a runtime. You can pick it from the dropdown. Similarly, if you're building um, a Spring, so Spring has a project called Spring Cloud Function. If you're building serverless functions using that project and uh, pushing them to AWS Lambda, you can now be on Spring Boot 3 and Java 17. So, so that's Jayhan, really exciting. Had one of those questions earlier. Uh, one of the chat questions I'm transitioning into AWS serverless architecture. Spring Cloud has helped me understand many distributed systems concepts, lambdas. And SNS, it's, a, it's been challenging to understand. Is Spring Cloud Functions worth implementing? Yeah, My absolutely. Yes. Yeah, answer. for sure. I mean, uh, it, it, it gives you, you know, so you could build Lambda functions in straight Java. That, that I, I think we all understand that, right? And I think one of the things I tried to do in the series of tutorials that I've put together is that you don't need... You don't need Spring to build a, a Lambda. You don't need Spring to build a web app, but it sure is a heck of a lot easier by using something like Spring, right? And I think the same is um, going to be said about something like Spring Cloud Contract. It puts you into a familiar programming environment. You get to take advantage of all the different projects in the ecosystem if you need to talk to a database, if you need logging, if you need these things are all available for you right there. And I think more than ever in today's day and age, you're never just pushing code to one kind of cloud environment, right? We, we live in a multi-cloud environment world now where we may be pushing code to different environments. Spring Cloud, uh, uh, Spring Cloud function allows you to write all of your code in a consistent paradigm and then push it out to whatever cloud that you want to go to. So you're not writing AWS specific code. That's actually just the artifact that you're building for at the end of the day. So yes, I think there are a ton of advantages of using Spring to build Lambda functions and using Spring Cloud function to, to build those. So. 100% agree, 100% agree. The Spring Cloud functions and, and most of the things you find in Spring, uh, again, my recent experience the last couple of weeks uh, has just been a, a massive reminder. A lot of the things that I used to think were difficult uh, and hard to implement, coming back to them, I find that the Spring Team just keeps on giving us more out of the box. 
They keep on making it easier and easier to the point now we've got like they're delivering containers that are you don't even have to go and build your own. There's a container already out there that'll do it for you. It'll do the things you're looking for. You don't even have to build your own. You still yep. can. And it's really easy to do so. But yeah, the Spring Cloud functions, it reminds me of another thing that we should probably mention. A lot of times on the show, people ask, where do we go to learn about Spring? How do I go and learn about Spring Boot, Spring Cloud? Where do I start? And I think the new answer, the best new answer is Spring.academy. So I know that sounded a lot like a commercial just then, but it's the <laughs> truth. And and I say that like the Spring Cloud function uh, is something that will, if it's not there already, it'll definitely exist there uh, with, yeah, with all of the things that you need to learn how to do it and, and get your feet wet, you know, get those reps in. Uh, but another cool. AWS question, semi-related. Uh, Paul says, architecture question, AWS, EBS, elastic block storage getting a 302 issue on the load balancer. When using Spring Security, redirecting to a login page. Should I try to use a cert in the EBS? Is that possible? So I'm trying to imagine what's happening here, Paul. Uh, and and I'll just like be transparent. I'm probably not gonna be able to answer this for you right on the show, but you know how to get a hold of me. Uh, Deshaun at Deshaun.com, DeshaunC at VMware.com. I am happy to jump on a Zoom and work through this. And maybe I don't know the answer, uh, but maybe I can help you think through it and answer some of the things. I do have experience with AWS and its architecture, and I do have some experience with Spring Security. So maybe together we can come to a solution, but I think I've got to understand the context a little bit better before I try to answer it. Pair programming, it's a beautiful thing, my friend. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I saw another kind of uh, specific question. Uh, there is, and there is, uh, and there is equivalent to SNS on Spring. So SNS, simple notification service. Yeah. So, yeah. Lots. yes, yes. But if you're on AWS, you could take advantage of something like SNS. So you can build an API that does one thing, and then you know calls something like SNS, which is going to transition me into my last story of the day, which is our good friend, um, Mache posted this today, but Spring Cloud AWS 3.0 was released today. Um, pretty big rewrite of the AWS SDK, compatible with Spring Boot 3.0, and simple testing with local stack. So I want to go into each of those a little bit. So the if you look at the release for Spring Cloud AWS and then go into the reference documentation, this is a really good place to start. What is this project doing? Um, so AWS provides a Java SDK to basically do anything. You don't need Spring Cloud AWS. But like all things, the SDK um, gives you that ability to do whatever. But it's a considerable amount of low-level code that you need to do stuff. Right, And so Spring Cloud AWS kind of gives us what you're looking for um, when you're working with a Spring project. And that's given us kind of those abstractions on top of everything. So really great project. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, host a Spring One to Golden Path with um, Machai on uh, probably about a month ago talking about Spring Cloud AWS 3.0. And one of the things that came up, I think our friend Simon in the chat uh, talked about, was local stack. 
this is a really cool project too that I didn't know existed. And local stack. So if you're if you're testing out code that is going to talk specifically with something like AWS and SNS, like you don't want to send real notifications, right? Like you don't want to have to connect to your AWS cloud account to do this development or do this testing. Local stack lets you do this locally on your machine and write the same code so you don't have to change the code once you go to production. So pretty cool stuff that it has integration with local stack, supports Spring Boot 3.0, and uh, there's a whole bunch of really great features in this. So if you're working with uh, AWS, uh, Spring Cloud AWS might be something you can take a look at. Excellent. That, that's good. And, uh, you know, is there an equivalent to SNS on Spring? Maybe not built into Spring, unless you look at our, our application context. Our application context has notifications. It has eventing and messaging built in. Every Spring Boot app, every Spring app, we have an application context that can do notifications and eventing. But outside of that, in the ecosystem, we have options. We have Redis. Redis has streams. We can do PubSub type of workloads with Redis. Uh, we also have Rabbit, RabbitMQ. That's an open source messaging platform that we can use. Uh, so you do, you have plenty of options. Yeah, th those are good questions, great topics. Um, Paul, uh, he pointed out Elastic Beanstalk, not Elastic Blocks, or Elastic Beanstalk. Elastic Beanstalk, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's a service that's been around for a very long time. It allowed us to take our, our Spring app and basically say, hey, run it. It was a platform for running workloads and it felt very close uh to like a heroku it wasn't looking at my source code but i could take my jar file my war file i could get to elastic beanstalk and i could do this magic scaling uh so an early on platform that has a lot of uh tons of history tons of great services around it and yeah, we could definitely take a look at that. I and this was that. just the higher level abstraction on top of something like EC2, right? Yep. Uh, Dan asked for links. We will absolutely put links in the show notes. And uh, some of them there are there already. So the things that I knew we would talk about, those links should be in the show notes already. Alexander is back and he has a question about Spring Boot scheduling. We have a service that runs 11 schedulers. Two of them are supposed to run with a fixed delay of 500 milliseconds. Their execution takes two to three milliseconds. What we are seeing in practice is that there is some gap in the time of running based on the logs. We increase the scheduler threads to 20 from one, which is default. The problem went away on our staging environment, but not on prod, which is strange. We are running a Kubernetes cluster. Any suggestions? Alexander, I'm pretty sure that we've gone through this uh, pairing type of an exercise. Uh, again, I'd probably say the same thing is like, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, and this is one where like five minutes on a Zoom might get us to the solution way faster than, than the chat. I want these questions because if we can answer this kind of question, maybe it's something that we can turn around and we create content on it for somebody else. So we want to make sure. I have run into that problem. The idea of having these schedules and understanding the difference between, hey, if I if I say I want this to run every 500 milliseconds, is the next one going to run on the clock 500 milliseconds or 500 milliseconds after the previous one ends, right? Understanding those differences and what changing the values, the knobs that we have with the schedulers, 
what does that really mean? So I understand where you're at. I've been there before and I want to see if I can help you get through that. But that is one of those headaches is when you're trying to schedule things and you want some kind of consistency. Uh, another another you know, person that comes to mind is I might want to reach out to somebody in the spring batch when I'm trying to do those consistent scheduled type workloads. Uh, I definitely look into the spring batch project for patterns that look similar, that will remind me of my workload. And maybe I'm looking at my workload with the wrong filter. And maybe there's another pattern that fits it better if I'm running these kind of problems. Again, I don't know what's going on, but these are some of the things that I do. A lot of times when I find that I haven't found a solution or that I'm trying to go and I feel like I'm running into a, a corner, a lot of times that the light bulb hits, the light bulb turns on, I'm like, let, let me let me reset because I'm not that unique. This problem has probably been solved in more than one way, someplace else that I'm not looking or I'm not aware of. And we want to help with that. For sure. Um, I see a comment here from Dan saying uh, Spring Cloud AWS 3.0 next show. Um, that's funny that you say that. I, when I talked, to, when I had that Golden Path to Spring 1 uh, conversation with Machai, he basically said, you know, let me get 3.0 out the door because all his efforts were focused on that. And then he would love to do something like that. So I am going to bug him now and see if we can't get him on the show to talk about that. Excellent. Okay. Um, so that is really kind of all of the news that I wanted to go through, things that I found interesting in the community. If you have three th anything that you think is going on in the community uh, that seems interesting to you, uh, please go ahead and send it over to us. You can find us on Twitter at Deshaun at the Real Dan Vega. Uh, we'd love to talk about it on an upcoming episode. There's a, another question here in the chat. Uh, we're, we'll still get to spring session. Uh, I'm going to bring this up. Gennady says, do you work with Spring Brew? Is it a good alternative for Spring Boot? Spring Brew, I don't think, is being supported anymore. I think Spring Brew has been end of life. It was a project that did a lot of cogeneration. But there's kind of a similar related project that's being experimented on from our good friend. Uh, the Spring Shell, the other Spring Shell. Um, I'm trying to think of who created it. Help me the, out. Um, are you talking about the Spring CLI? The Spring CLI. Mark. Uh, Pollock. Thank you. Pollock. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So there's going to be some similar concepts there. Uh, not the code generation uh, in the way that Spring Brew was delivered. Um, I was a fan of Spring Brew. It helped. Uh, it was following some of the patterns that were popular at the time that it was created. Um, going back even further than that, uh, it reminded me of like app views uh, from yesteryear. But I think that we have found that those types of frameworks, um, as you mature, uh, I guess what I ran into was uh, it, it was causing more problems than it was solving. Uh, so yeah. yeah, and there oh, are and some comments. Hipster. Yeah, there are some comments uh, about Jay Hipster, and Jay Hipster is yeah. a great project. So yeah, yeah. check that and out. It's I think it's great for what it does, and and I know that there and I've, I've worked with customers that are taking Jay Hipster production. It yeah. all depends on where you're at, you know, complexity, uh, performance, 
release cycles, et cetera. JHipster is an amazing project. But yeah, I think that that's probably the the closest relative uh, actively being uh, maintained. Good job. All right, um, so we're running out of time. We need to get to our topic at hand today, spring session. So this is a project in the spring ecosystem. You can learn more about it on spring.io under projects. You can find spring session. Here on the live stream, we're looking at the documentation uh, for spring session. So if you want, go ahead and check out the docs if you want to learn more. I figured a really good place to start with this before we dive into what spring session is, what we might want to use it for. Let's talk about a session in general, because people may not understand what a session is. Uh, when we're talking about building applications specifically for the web here, Deshaun, what is a session and, and why is this something I should care about uh, in my application? So a se session, um, if, if we go way, way back, we, we can, <laughs> I don't know what the definition is, but like as we were developing uh, web apps, uh, we realized that we kind of needed a way to track what was done. We needed a way of keeping state of the user. Like, is the user logged in? Is the user still logged in? It Should the user be logged in? Uh, or is the user logged in more than once? We wanted to be able to keep track of some things, items in a shopping cart, uh, uh, preferences like bold or, or uh, the night, what's the dark mode? Yeah, right? dark Those mode. Kind of yeah. personalization yeah. Color settings, themes, yeah. Right? And early on, we would kind of just throw things into cookies. And we realized like, ah, oh, that's not the most secure thing. But we were throwing a lot of stuff into cookies and oh, we learned those lessons. So then we kind of, we created a cookie, but it, it had a session ID and we were storing all the things on the server, on the application server, or the web server or whatever you're using. So that's kind of, we want to keep some information about this current session, the state of this session, some information around that. That's a great session. word right there, uh, state. And I don't think people really kind of understand this because you use the web every day and it remembers things about you, but the web is stateless. It is not tracking state for you. The way that we track state from one request to another in this case is through a session. So. Um, a request comes in, we may look something up from a database, return those results to you, but when we're done, we're done. We're not, we're not tracking that information, right? So yes, so state, um, web is stateless, session allow us to kind of track state uh, personalized for you. Um, so this is a, that, that's a really good explanation, Deshaun, thank you. Yeah. So, so we have a session. Um, what is so so now that we understand kind of what a session is, let's talk about it in the context of Spring. So if you were to head over to um, start.spring.io today, create a new project. Say you're using Maven, you fill out your information, you pick a web project, and you use Spring Security. The default kind of implementation for that out of the box is uh, let's go ahead and lock everything down. So let's say I create a new uh, endpoint. Uh, I have a home controller. I, I have an endpoint that I want to get. I want you to be able to uh, uh, look at. Um, what you're going to have to do by default is log in to view that endpoint because everything is secure by default. When you log in to just this this application that we created, we are going to create a J session ID, so a session ID for you, and then store that in a cookie. Um, that's how it works out of the box. 
and, and this will work. And now anytime we want to store information about you, um, hey, Deshaun uh, is crazy and loves light mode. Uh, his nickname is D. Carter. You know, all the things that we want to store about you, we can store somewhere and attach it to that session ID. By default, in a Spring application, we're storing that in memory, right, in the context. So, so by default, that works out of the box. So we really don't need Spring Session. But what please. are some problems? What are some problems that we're going to run into in that context where Spring Session might help out? Well, the first one that I ran into was the session was it was sticky. We were storing that that session with a certain application server, which caused problems uh, around scale and performance. Uh, if I had a bunch of people that were logged into a single server and they, they we called it a sticky session where some load balancer said, I know that session ID, that session ID came from box one. So when Dan comes back, his session, I'm going to connect him to session one. But it didn't balance things out. It worked but it didn't balance things out. I could get one box that was overloaded. Right? And depending on, on the scale, I could have problems. So we still, we needed better because it was difficult. And it got better where multiple application servers, let's say Tomcat, we could uh, synchronize those sessions across multiple instances, but that, it came with its own set of problems. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I, so I think another 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 thing you'll notice right away is that this doesn't survive application restarts. So if you just do this on your local machine yep. and you go ahead and log in and you restart the application and go back to that endpoint, it's going to ask you to log in again, and that's because it will not survive those server restarts. So not surviving server restarts, not. Um, enabling us to kind of horizontally scale our application and track those sessions across those different um, servers. Uh, those are two of the big problems that I see that Spring Session is going to help us solve. And Jitterchad kind of gives you both sides of the, the negotiation. Holding all of your state in a cookie can seem like magic until it breaks or until you're putting things in that cookie that you don't want in that cookie. On right. the other side, putting things on the server and storing things all on the server with just passing ID is great until that server dies and you haven't figured a way of doing persistence or synchronization at scale. Yep. Okay. So we know what sessions are. We know what spring session may help us uh, solve. So if I go over to start.spring.io, I create a new app with case, application with something like web, security, and then spring session. Spring session here says it provides an API and implementations for managing user session information. So there are some 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 user uh, some session store types out of the box. Um, one of which is so you can do things like store all this information in, in a relational database using something like MySQL. You can also do this in Redis, and I see Redis being used as 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 kind of the the, the overall um, top provider of something like this. Um, and I know you're a big Redis fan. So maybe can you talk to us about what Redis is and maybe why would, why would we reach for Redis in this situation? I'm going to take one step back. I believe the sessions is a part of the ser a servlet spec. Somewhere along the way, we had this implementation specification that says, here's how we're going to source sessions. But 
Yep. We all know with the, the way that things were delivered back in the J2E days, uh, they kind of went in different ways. We didn't have a consistent way. So if half of my environment was BEA WebLogic and the other was uh, Netscape application server, then we ran into problems and made it even more difficult. Hmm. So this, first of all, providing this API that's a, a unified here, one API that I can connect to multiple backends, much like we do with Spring Data JPA. Like I can, I can plug these different storage yeah. containers, these different data stores uh, on the opposite side of this API. That's a big part of it. Now, Redis being in memory, yeah, it, it opened the door for a lot of things. Like, first of all, making it simpler to share sessions across multiple instances of my application server. So I could have mm -hmm. 10 instances of user service. They're all connected to one or, or a cluster of Redis instances and at speed. So I didn't have to do the sticky session. I didn't have to take Dan to server one every time. I could have effective round robin load balancing or uh, fastest connection load balancing, whichever I needed, and still have that good experience on the user side. Great. And at least my kind of trivial knowledge of Redis, a lot of the things that I hear about it that are great are, hey, guess what? It's really fast. You know, when we're it's when we really don't fast. need to store relational data, when we just are worrying about key value pairs, this is a really great solution for this because all we're storing is some key that says, hey, this is a session. Here's your uh, here's the session we're associating with. you. Yeah. Jitter Ted says, I know I'll store this session in a database. Luckily, we don't have to write that code. And again, yeah, that's great. Um, so, and I'll talk about that in a second. So I, I put together a demo. You can go ahead and grab the code from GitHub. So github.com slash Vega slash session. Uh, I'm, we're looking here uh, on the live stream at start.spring.io. When you choose session, um, we need to talk about a provider. Like where, where are we going to put this session information, right? So I picked Spring Data Redis Access and Driver as one of the dependencies. And what you get out of that is a couple of things. If you look, if you do the explore and look at all of the dependencies in the palm here, you get Spring Boot Starter Data Redis. So this is going to auto configure everything for us behind the scenes, connect to like we won't have to write configuration to connect to this Redis instance. And we get all of the Spring Data stuff, so it's going to do the writing and retrieving for us. Like We don't have to worry about that. So that's really great. Then we also get Spring Session Data Redis. And as Deshaun said, there's implementations of this. And just because we chose Redis and we have Spring Session uh, as a dependency, it now figured out that, hey, I need that module to go ahead and connect it to Redis. So, that's really easy from a dependency, picking out my dependencies. I picked out these four dependencies and now I'm good to go. Um, from there, in the example code that you can pull down from GitHub, I also used Spring Boot 3.1 RC1. Uh, this is using the latest version of Spring Session that we, that we took a look at on the calendar last week. And so because of that, I can declare a Docker Compose file and say, hey, I need a service called Redis Here's the image that I'm going to pull, which is a Redis Alpine. I'm going to expose a couple ports. And now I don't even need to like put any information in application.properties, right? It's going to pull that. It figures out what port it is. But because that's, that Spring Data Redis uh, dependency was there, it's going to auto-configure that for us. So 
this application will start up. There's an instance of Redis. And now if you were to go ahead and log in, instead of seeing that J session ID, if you go into like the DevTools console, instead of seeing that cookie, you will see a session. And so now that session is able to persist over restarts. And if we were to horizontally scale this, um, so it's really cool. Uh, again, go ahead and check out the GitHub repo if you want to take a look at an example of how to do this. So Spring Session came out with a RC1, a 3.1.0 RC1 milestone release. Uh, not last week, I think it was the week before. Uh, just to give an update, like there's nothing there that's new. There's no breaking changes. It looks like there are just five issues and they are all just basically updates of the underlying versions. So upgrade to Spring Boot to three or 6.0.3. Uh, update Spring Framework to 6.0.8. Spring Data Bomb to 22.0.5. So it's just moving the, the train, the release train, if you will, up to the latest versions. There's one feature improvement around reusing the string Redis serializer. So there's no breaking changes. There's no changes in the way you're going to use uh, Spring Session. It's just improvements in moving things forward with the rest of the releases. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. We talk about Redis. Yeah. I like Redis. It's got a bunch of different data types that I can use that I can throw into my session. But that's not the only option that we have here. We can also use Hazelcast, another key value store that we can use, and back. Like if you've already got Hazelcast on the menu in the building in your app, use it. You don't have mm -hmm. to add another data store. But you can also do JDBC. If you mm -hmm. if you don't have Redis, you don't have a way to bring Redis into the stack, nobody can support it, I get it. It's not ideal, but I understand. It's a way of, of moving forward, but it'll handle it like a session. So you can change your connection pooling specifically for those uh, session connections, right? Versus your uh, product search, your category search, et cetera. Um, but then also like Mongo, another NoSQL. And Mongo yeah. also gives you that eventual consistency. I can do things across multiple regions. I can have that, uh, hey, I put something in my shopping cart in New York, uh, but I flew to London and I still wanna see it in my shopping cart. So you can do mm -hmm. these kind of things and there's a lot of ways to do it. But this, this uh, spring session gives you the API that allows you to do that consistently. So, you know, when you go from project to project, you'll know how to do it. John Freddy asked the question. He's like, I'm a bit lost in the topic. I've seen that sticky session configuration on AWS Load Balancer. Is this com complementary feature or replacement? The idea of a session, something that we want to access a lot. We're going to make changes. We're going to keep state of what's going on. If I don't have a backing store that can synchronize it across multiple instances, regions, or zones, then Maybe I need to make it sticky. Maybe I want to make sure that Dan only accesses data centers in the United States. Even if the United States is down, I don't want Dan to try to access uh, a different region for some reason. So there's there's different reasons why you would make something sticky. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons why you wouldn't want that. But yeah, I was just going to, yeah, I was going to kind of, kind of wrap this up by saying, I don't, there's probably... If I was creating a project today with Spring Security, there's not a reason I wouldn't reach for Spring Session. Like, this seems like a no-brainer in any project you're using Spring Security. Unless for whatever reason, you just don't have the infrastructure to like write to something else to kind of track all these. I get it, but you know, I think 
if your application is updating a lot and restarting a lot, you don't want to be kicking users off your application because you had to restart an application. Um, that is very annoying as a user experience from the other end. So it's this, this helps you solve that. It's yeah. what? It's 2023. We shouldn't have to do it. We shouldn't force our users exactly. to deal with that anymore. Yep. And yep. we want we want you, we want you and your users to have a good experience. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things to explore around Spring Session. The one that I keep coming back to is uh, if you're not using Spring Session, how do you force somebody to log out? How do you terminate a session of somebody that maybe they're doing something bad? If you've given them a JWT token, you can't. Uh, yeah, you can't easily log that person out. Right. You can't easily do that. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things. There's um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that we can do with Spring Session. The one other one that I I find that I like is that when you're putting this this session data into a store, uh, before I didn't have a way of going and accessing that session data from anywhere else. It was only kind of the users, the only one that had access to that that yep. was wrapped around like my Tomcat session. So having access to things, I could look, I could I could aggregate, I could do a, a, if Redis, for example, I could do a sorted set on what's the number one product that people have in their shopping cart. And I yeah. could have access to that so I could know how to do inventory and all the other things just based on what people are doing actively on this. That, on that's a really great point. Um, using analytics uh, of some of that data. And again, I don't think it's, intrusive analytics, it's, um, okay, 90% of the people uh, in Redis right now have said that their preferred theme is dark theme. So good luck, guess what? All that time that we spent implementing dark theme, that did not go to waste. Like it's being used and it's being used everywhere. So those are, yeah, those are types of things that you can kind of gather and, and use for, for metrics going forward, like things that you've worked on. Um, so yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's a really great, um, example of, of why you might want to use that data. Yeah. Uh, Henning says we're storing sessions in a MariaDB and we've experienced that after a spring security update, the data cannot be deserialized anymore since the serial version UID changes each version. Hmm. Deshaun, for those that of you is, at home, Deshaun is put yeah, on, I, he's put on his thinking cap. <laughs> thinking cap. That is a uh, interesting, that is a interesting uh, scenario. And I, it's interesting because that sounds painful. And that's something I know that I've ran into that, not necessarily around screen security, but in other ways, how did I get over the serial version UID change? Like I had to keep moving forward on serialization. I wasn't. There's there's a way around it, but I can't think of how I did that in the past. And it's curious after a Spring Security update, um, did you update just Spring Security? Yeah, did you update just Spring Security? Are you saying maybe you moved to Spring Boot 3.0 and transitively Spring Security has been updated? Curious to know what has caused that. In the release, in the release notes, we reused the String Redis serializer instance, so maybe there is a serialization piece in there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's an interesting question, and um, I'm glad that you asked it. It's something that I, I want to dig in and understand more. Jitter Ted also says it might be expensive to sync the session across multiple regions, so make the user sticky to servers in a particular region. That could help. Absolutely. If you're in the cloud and you're paying ingress, no egress, 
uh, yeah, it can that can be really, really expensive. It can be more expensive in some cases than the actual infrastructure that you're running. So yeah, that's another uh, good example, reason for sticky session. But this is something that we've been talking about a lot. It, it, it's come up. And what we're going to try to do is as new releases come out, I just want to like talk about the releases. It gives us a reason to talk about the releases every time they release something new. So we'll try to do that more. Yeah, and I think this was a really good topic because people might see Spring Session and go, uh, what is that? Do I need that? What what can it be used for? And I hopefully at a high level, we've gave you given you an introduction to it and, and where you might want to use it. So hopefully these uh, sessions like this, sessions, yeah. oh, see what I did there? See what, maybe these sessions will help out. Um, cool. Specifically, John so, Cuddy, I hope that you understand sessions a little bit better and what Spring Session might be able to do for you. For sure, for sure. All right, we are going to kind of wrap this up. Um, I bet we started this last week, so we're going to keep this train rolling. We have one more thing today, one more thing, just an opportunity for Deshaun and myself to talk about one more thing quickly. Um, Deshaun, do you have anything you'd like to talk about? Spring Cubed. I'm doing a lot of stuff on what it looks like to run Spring on Kubernetes. Uh, so, yeah, find me on, on YouTube and, and the places and there's going to, if anybody knows anybody on the Paquetti, the Paquetto steering committee, I have, I have thrown my name into the hat. I am actively campaigning to be a part of the Paquetto steering committee. Let's do it. Let's get Deshaun on that committee. He absolutely belongs there. So cool. Uh, my one more thing is I am on vacation next week. Uh, so I may or may not be on this show. We'll see. We, we've got some plans for it. But I will be in Hilton Head, and I have not golfed in 20 years, Deshaun. I am golfing next week. So I may not be a good golfer, but I'm going to look like one next week. And so I can't wait to find out how that goes and share that with you. I'm excited. I've wanted to get into golf for a while, so this should be fun. And I'll report back to you uh, with, with how that goes. So Cool. Um, so with that, we are going to end this show. Again, Spring 1 registration is now open. Please go ahead and register. Go ahead and check out springofficehours.io. We have a place on the website to ask your questions. If you don't want to come to the live stream and ask your questions, I get it. This is a perfect place. Ask your question, and we'll see if we can't get it answered on an upcoming episode. Uh, with that, Deshaun, this has been fun. Thank you, everyone in the live stream, for the questions, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.